Please be seated. The reading uh, is from Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 to 34. It can be found on page 26 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. Genesis chapter 25, versing, starting to read at verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. The two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Adam. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Luke I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much indeed, Martin. Uh, Let's uh, pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray as we look at your word together for a, a reminder again of your grace, the grace we've just sung of, uh, the grace to your people, uh, we pray. Amen. 
Now, we are at the beginning of this um, series in um, Genesis, as I was explaining uh, last week, and we heard this morning um, from uh, Sarah. Um, and this, this section, um, this opening, um, it's, uh, it, it's the beginning part of the story um, of uh, Jacob in particular. That's going to be our focus. Um, and it functions and acts like uh, an origin story, origin stories um, are all the rage at the moment. Uh, what I mean by that is the sort of beginning stories. Um, it's, I think it's partly uh, things like the, uh, if, if you've enjoyed any of the various cinematic universes there are at the moment, these kind of great epic stories. An origin story, a beginning story for somebody, is a, is a really helpful thing. It's where you learn something about who they are. You kind of, you go back and you see what their character is like. I've noticed, to be honest, that even in, even in things like period dramas at the moment, you'll get the occasional uh, origin story, a flashback which takes you back where something happens and you understand who the character we're dealing, is, uh, dealing with is and why they are as they are. And that is a little bit what our story, our passage this morning. Maybe it is a symptom of our time, I don't know. Maybe we are less sure of who we are these days as a society and a culture. So we are interested in origin stories and telling them. I don't know, one to ponder. But this functions in that way. And I talked us through, just by way of brief recap, I talked us through last week, if you weren't here, we looked at the whole of the the arc of of Genesis, the story of Genesis. Um, And in particular, we noted that through the, the book of Genesis, there are promises given by God... And they locate particularly around these three things, that he was going to create a people, uh, that he was going to give them a place, uh, and that he was going to bless them, and they would be a blessing to others. A people, a place, and a blessing. And I suggested to you that you see it all the way through Genesis, and we called this series God's Promises Unfold um, in the Mess, because those steady promises from God are given are given through this complicated, messy family tree. And we touched briefly on there are four generations here. It spans a long period of time, and there are uh, difficulties and challenges along the way at each layer of these uh, four generations. And indeed, the, the names in gray I suggested, because there is a shadow side to the family lives of those uh, uh, we see in Genesis. A shadow side, those stories that aren't perhaps so familiar, uh, but when you think about it, there are people's lives, complex, messy lives, complex, messy family lives that unfold. And I suggested to you that this is how we see God's promises unfold in that world and in that uh, family setup. And this morning, this origin story, this going back to the beginning with Jacob, if it tells us anything, I think it tells us this this morning, that God's promise of a people in particular, that he was going to gather a people, is not what we might expect. His promise of a people is not what we might expect. I think we'll see a pattern, as good origin stories do. They give you a pattern, they give you a sense of Oh, so that explains what will come later. Uh, And that's what we'll see here, hopefully. There are two scenes, um, and uh, I'm going to try and take us through the two scenes and then uh, just draw out um, what I think we can uh, take from it. 
um, and, and hopefully uh, that will make sense as we go. The first scene is the scene with um, Rebecca, um, and it's the first half um, of this and the time markers, I, I mentioned this briefly last week, and you might just want to clock this again. Um, if, you have, if you've got your Bibles, and have a look at verse 20. When uh, we're first, um, first time marker is Isaac being mentioned as 40 years old when he married Rebecca. And then down at the end of that first section in verse 26, we're told Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to these twin boys. So here is a 20-year period of waiting, of challenge, and the pain and difficulty of infertility for Rebecca and for them as a family. And it's part of the context of this story. Uh, we see Isaac praying in verse 21 to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she is childless. You imagine Isaac regularly praying, Rebecca regularly praying, waiting and hoping. And we're told after that long period, after that 20 years, uh, the Lord answered uh, the prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. And then we get, you imagine that must have been uh, the great news they'd hoped for. And in this first scene, we're then told this in verse 22, the babies jostled each other within her and the sense is almost that they clashed within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? Imagine for a moment, you've waited that long through that period of uncertainty um, and possible pain. Finally, you have the news that you were hoping for, and yet things don't seem right. You might compare it with the ease with which we could check these things now in our uh, NHS that we have here in the UK. What a great thing that is to be able to do that. Here she is sensing something isn't right. Something doesn't seem okay. So she goes uh, to pray to the Lord, and the Lord responds with these words um, of prophecy. If you, know, if you do know anything about origin stories, uh, origin stories, always a prophecy does you, it's a good, always a good thing in an origin story. You get a prophecy, uh, they're, they're, they're everywhere in the world of Harry Potter, to whatever it might be, you'll, you'll find that somebody has said something about what is coming. God got there first, it turned out. So, he says, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be, you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Two peoples, two nations. And if we are expecting from the promises of God that there will be a people he is creating, we're meant, to, we're meant to just sense the unease of this. Two nations? Two peoples? How is that going to work? It's just laying down a kind of tension, if you like. I, I, how, how are we meant to make sense of this? We thought, God, you were working with one people. And we're told as they are born, uh, the first to come out was red and his whole body was ha- a hairy garment. So the name of Esau, which uh, uh, kind of echoes that sense. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob because it, it, uh, it kind of has an echo of heel, uh, grasping a heel. So you have this, this tension and this, this divided picture and two different figures. This kind of hairy creature, Esau, and a heel clutcher uh, in Jacob. And things that, it just doesn't seem 
straightforward anymore. That was our opening scene. It just sort of sets the, the scene. And then comes, I guess, the, the more revealing of the two, um, past, uh, two halves. The, this episode uh, with uh, Jacob and Esau when they're grown up and the food, and this growing sense of division and, and, and kind of complex relationship that they have. I was trying to kind of canvas around thinking, Lord, how do, I, how, do you, how do you convey the kind of gut-level difficulty between... Jacob and Esau. How can you convey this kind of rivalry between siblings? Um, and then the news delivered this week. <laughs> so it's extraordinary. So here is Prime Minister Johnson and his brother, Mr. Joe Johnson. And I don't know what the gut-level visceral difficulties there are or the, the pain that they may have experienced. It's a striking thought, isn't it, that that is the kind of uh, what, what's going on here is real. It's between brothers, um, and the Bible doesn't shy away from it in Jacob and Esau. We're given a picture of these two. They've grown up into, to be different characters. So Esau becomes a skillful hunter, so he's, he's a man of the field. Uh, he likes a good hike. Um, he's often in his wetsuit out doing outdoorsy pursuits. He'll go camping overnight. Uh, his brother Jacob um, is more likely to be found in a coffee shop in town uh, or in the library. Um, uh, he'll be uh, reading, he'll be taking in the news, whatever it might be. I leave it to your imagination as to which of those two I most naturally identify with. <laughs> um, the story as it comes in, um, uh, Jacob has, um, uh, uh, Esau's been out and Jacob's been cooking some stew. Esau comes in from the open country and he's famished and he says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that uh, red, red stew. I'm famished. Uh, That's why he's called Edom. It's a bit of a pun on red. Um, And uh, Jacob replies, first, sell me your birthright. Now, to get, I guess, to get in our heads, you've got to kind of give credit to the both characters here. So Esau, you've got to imagine that he has come in. And I don't think it's, you know, we went on a bit of a walk um, uh, earlier this week and it was a bit steep. a little bit of a time away with uh, some of the staff, and we, by the top of the hill, I was, you know, we, we were, it was quite steep, we were quite tired, and somebody says to me, Paul, you look broken, and I was thinking, oh dear. Um, it's, you know, Esau is, you know, he's much gutsier than that. You've got to assume that he's been out, he's been doing whatever he's been doing in the countryside, maybe he's been fighting animals, uh, maybe he's been out, and he is, a, he is broken because of how much physical exertion he is. So he's come in, and he is desperate. I, you know, it's not an idle thing. He's really laid himself out. He's come in, he's seen the food, and you've got to imagine him saying, the way he speaks in the, in the passage is kind of, I'm, I'm dying, give me some of that red, red stuff. He's kind of on the floor. He's that broken. And at that moment, Jacob, you get an insight into his character, again, in the way he speaks. Um, there is a, uh, if, if those of you who like Shakespeare, um, Shakespeare once drew a character um, in, in Julius Caesar. It was one of the conspirators who was going to bring Caesar down. He's called Cassius. And Shakespeare says, um, Cassius has a lean and hungry look. And Jacob is there, and he see, you imagine he sees his brother desperate on the floor, and the way he phrases things, he, it, it, he holds back a word. You've got to imagine him saying, sell now your birthright to me. That kind of calculating moment. Maybe he could be a special advisor. Um, 
Now, whether anyone thought to say to Esau, there was this language called no deal that you might want to know about. Um, you've got to imagine Esau is broken on the floor and, and in this desperation, his, his kind of gut-level reaction is, I'm, I'm dead. I don't, I don't care. Just give me the food. And the, the way the passage ends, he makes, uh, Jacob says to him, swear to me first, which he does, and we're told in this kind of very abrupt way, Esau ate and he drank and he rose and he left and he despised his birthright. Now, this is the tension, the complexity of this family relationship. And the question I think it it raises, and I have been uh, wrestling with myself, um, is this one. And again, it's one of those things where your instant reaction is quite a good thing. Uh, And we've done this a little bit, and I'm going to suggest we do it again, which is I, I wonder what your instant reaction to that question is between these two brothers. And I wonder if you might just turn for a minute or so uh, nearby to somebody. You can do it on your own if you'd like and just think. But if you wanted to turn to somebody nearby and, and answer, who does bring more dishonor on the family, do you think, in these two? Uh, um, there, there are different things going on in this story. As Esau gives away his birthright, as Jacob claims it. I wonder what your, what your instant reaction is. Let's have 30 seconds uh, with somebody nearby, perhaps. Okay, let me, uh, let me interrupt you, if I can. Possibly, if you are from a more uh, Western um, uh, and possibly more individual uh, culture or, or mindset, it may be that Esau's kind of reckless desire, he kind of gives into his appetites, um, and he doesn't seem in control of himself, that may be considered the, uh, the thing that you think might be the, the sort of the major failing of these uh, two. Possibly, if you are from a more traditional um, uh, and, and perhaps non-Western culture, Jacob's brazen disruption of the family order may seem worse to you. The fact that he's prepared to usurp the place of the elder son is... May, may seem worse. It, 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 it's an interesting story which pushes, depending wherever you're from. I think we are meant, as the story sits there with us, we are meant to have that uneasy feeling about both twins. I think we're meant to feel uneasy. We're meant to feel the, the problems with both twins. 
why. God's promise of a people is not what we might expect. God's promise of a people is not what we might expect. If there is a pattern for how God forms his people, and if you see it in the origin story here, it's not because one is more deserving than the other. It's not because one has covered themselves in glory more than the other. Here is a messy, broken, fallen, reckless, usurping family, and God will work through them And the challenge, I think, for, for us in some ways is to, at this point in our series, is to sit and hold that thought. I instinctively want to run a long way down the line and think, oh, how can we resolve all this and, and sort it all out and know what the answer is? But the pattern, we'll do a little of that, a pat, the pattern, if you see, being laid down is one that will carry on through Bible history and through church history. Just think for a moment about how that pattern begins to work itself out. God's promise of a people is not what we might expect. Esau and Jacob, the fact that God will work through this messy family and he will work through these two peoples to form through Jacob's line uh, his, his own people, see echoes of that later when Jesus walked the earth in his ministry and walked amongst uh, the people and, and the, the, the Pharisees and the rulers who would you, you would have thought might have been uh, the expected chosen people of God and yet he went to the tax collectors and sinners and they said, what are you doing over there? God's people aren't necessarily those we might expect when the apostles later went out to take the news about Jesus. They went uh, across the Mediterranean area. They would go to the synagogues first. Some would respond, but when they were turned away, they went to those who were outside, the apparent people of God, the Gentiles. What are you doing with them? Were the promises for them? And the apostles, the New Testament will tell us, yes, for the whole world, those who will respond to Jesus. And the challenge is to, at this point, is to sit with it and just say, God's people are not those we might expect. And then some final thoughts uh, that we can take from this. How do we apply this? How do we think this through? If this is how God is setting up his people in this origin story, uh, what, does it, what does it do for us? How does it help us understand who, I guess, we are as his people, the church? Uh, three short thoughts. This, this is, is our origin story. Uh, if you're a, a Christian this morning, I know not everyone will be. If you are, this is part of your origin story. This is part of who you are. We are much, much later on in the drama the other side of Jesus, the other side of his church being begun. But God, he doesn't work in us on the basis of your merits, of how well you have done, of the success that you have made of your life. And that the people that he is bringing together are those we may not expect would come together. God's promises continue to unfold in the mess of his people, his church. 
It gives us, secondly, a, a, a perspective corporately, a, a perspective altogether. How do we look at ourselves and how do you look at the church? There is that phrase that the church is a, um, a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. If you've come across that phrase before. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And this origin story reminds us that is very true. There is a reality to that. That's, this is not a place, the church is not a place, and if your sense of that is, uh, is that it is, it's not a place where good and upright and perfect people come and live out their good and upright and perfect ways. Actually, there's a gathering of messy, complex people whom God brings together in ways we might not expect. And it offers, if I can throw out this final thought individually, that if you are a part of Jesus' people, if you are part of his gathered people, the hand that you were dealt in your life and your family is not the last word on you. The hand that you were dealt the circumstances perhaps that you were born into are not the last word on you. Jesus has an invitation to be a part of a people that are not what you would expect, but that are being gathered by him and for him in and through the mess of our sinful, fallen, broken human world. And as we gather around the Lord's table later, we will have a visual reminder that that is what he is doing. He invites us to a meal, a place at a table. The hand that you and I were dealt is not the last word on you. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we look at this story. I look at this story and it's messy complexity and yet we know echoes of that in our own lives, uh, in our own uh, family lives, in our own society. Lord, I pray as we go through week by week, you would remind us afresh of your grace and your ability to work through the mess uh, of our lives and to bring our people together. Lord, you are good and you are gracious, and I pray you'd raise our eyes to that uh, truth this morning. Amen.